Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another restful episode of True Scary Stories to Help You Fall Asleep. Today, we are going to be reading True Let's Not Meet Stories. So, without further ado, lay back, relax, and enjoy these true scary stories. This old woman in a cinema thought that I was a demon. Quite an odd title, I know. But this is the only way I can describe what she meant. This happened a few years ago, right before the pandemic hit. In fact, I know the exact date because it spooked me to my core. It was February 18th, 2020. I was 14 years old, so you can imagine this was a pretty frightening moment for a young girl. My mother, younger brother, and I went to go see a movie. He wanted to see the new Sonic film, and I didn't really want to, so I went to see the Birds of Prey movie with Harley Quinn. I had already seen the movie, but I wanted to enjoy the cinema popcorn and hot dog and, quite frankly, wanted to watch it again. I got off by myself to the viewing room, and it was completely empty. Just me in there, so I felt relatively safe being able to see the whole room, given I was at the very top. It was pretty amazing to have an entire room to yourself. Until it's not. About halfway through the film, I went to the restroom. The soda didn't last long. So I went to the restroom, and once again it was just me in there. Every room was in current running progress, so nobody wanted to miss the films. As I was finishing up, there was an elderly woman at the sink, about 70. I thought I was alone, but I suppose not. She was washing her hands right next to me. She had moved from her original spot. Now, for context, before I say what she said to me, I'll give you a brief description of myself. I have black hair, green eyes, relatively sharp features, high cheekbones and arched brows. Yeah, a typical Disney villain, which I somewhat blame for her response. I think I'm somewhat attractive, but nothing to lose your marbles over. She had looked at me with the most subtle but unnerving grin, still with her hands under the water, but not doing anything and said, young lady, you're quite a gorgeous girl. I said, thank you. And she went on to say, a beauty like that is only something an evil thing can have. Your eyes are just so hollow and soulless. She continued with that same smile. I was seriously starting to get creeped out, but I do live in the Bible Belt of Texas. So I chalked it up to her being a nut job. But then she got closer and said, without the smile, you shouldn't have that beauty. I hurried and left as soon as I possibly could. I did not like being alone with that woman anymore, and I waited outside the restroom where it was populated, but she never came out. After five minutes, I went back to the viewing room and was paranoid the entire rest of the film. I could not get that crazy lady out of my head. Like, who says that to a kid? I seriously considered getting exercised by a priest after that encounter. After that, I told my mother, and she didn't let me go alone until I was at least 16. Never do I want to see that woman again. I still get paranoid anytime I'm alone in a public restroom. In fact, I avoid them altogether, and I still don't know what to make of it.
When I was younger and just got into online college, I got my first apartment. I had three jobs and one was third shift, but I was more than ready for independence. While I had a great time there, I did have one problem, my new downstairs neighbor. So the other tenants were a bit older than I am, with one of them being an old man who lived there for 20 years. The other was an older woman with a small kid, probably been there for three or four years, and an empty apartment downstairs. I keep to myself, so I never really spoke to any of them before, until I noticed that there was a new move in, a man that seemed close to my age, maybe a little older, black greasy hair and a little overweight, but in my experience living here, people seem to be nice, and I was happy to possibly have someone to say hello to. That possibility turned sour really quick, when a casual hello turned into that trash stinks remarks from him. When I was taking out the trash and snide remarks under his breath when I've done nothing. Even remarking on my sister's lack of a bra when she came to visit me. Naturally, I was grossed out and annoyed that he had to comment on anyone, especially my sister, and told the landlord. Nothing came of it, of course. One day I was asleep and someone came banging on my door. I had no idea who it was and my anxiety was beyond strong. I'm alone and never expect a knock that wasn't planned. It was the neighbor saying that I was being too loud and I need to stop harassing him. I explained through a closed door that I was asleep and I was not making noise. He left and stopped down the stairs while muttering and calling me a B-word. My heart felt like it was beating out of my chest. I went back to bed, only to hear him coming back up the stairs and banging on my door. When I addressed him again, he said that I was harassing him and that he's calling the cops because I'm still making noise. I told him to ask the other neighbor because there's no way that I could possibly be making noise when he is on the other side of the building. He thanks me politely before stomping off and cursing and calling me a B-word yet again. I tell the landlord right away that one of his tenants is acting hostile and I don't feel comfortable slash safe and he tells me that he will look into it. I hear nothing for a week. Turned out it was the old neighbor hitting the floor with a stick like one of those classic cartoons because the rude neighbor was playing music too loud. I swear he should have known that, as I'm on the other side. It was like he wanted an excuse to come speak to me. The following months it got worse. One day I walked out in a snowsuit so that I can play in the snow. I'm a big kid at heart. He had to remark on my clothing being unnecessary, even when there's three feet of snow out. I forgot what I said in response. Something like it's not his business. But he basically just said F you. I just walked off to go play in the snow. It gave me a little enjoyment because of the earlier interaction, so I went back home to get ready for work. The snowstorm got worse, and I had just came back from my night shift. I see him alone in the parking lot with the car on and the windows up. I was on high alert as I carefully walked around and up the alley to my apartment. The second I close the door to go upstairs, I hear loud, wall-shaking music. It's him. He's blasting his car music at max volume. It's a snowstorm at 3 a.m. I was surprised and confused because what was his reasoning? He did it until 8 in the morning, and I found out later it was to spite the old neighbor for telling him his music is too loud. Soon, it all started getting serious, cursing in the hallway and playing music louder, with the police knocking at our doors asking us about a noise disturbance. And now, a mutual hatred amongst the neighbors at the a-hole who kept us all up. But that's not the worst part. I just got back from my night shift and it's 3am yet again. 
I'm dragging my tired feet over to the mailboxes that are right inside the townhouse door. As I'm looking through the ads and letters, his door opens at the top of the stairs. My stomach tightens, hoping I don't have to interact with him, but drops when he starts speaking unintelligibly. At the top of the stairs, he's gurgling and mumbling something. What? I said. But he repeats the same weird sounds again, only more aggressive. I felt something was more than off, and noped right around and around the door, heading back to my car. I thought I'd rather sleep in my car than possibly be attacked in the hallway. And as I'm having the thought, I hear the window above slam open. I freeze and then spin back around the edge of the corner. It's him, and he's looking for me out the window. I stand there for a moment listening to him, and he's speaking gibberish and yelling. I thought to myself that it was my chance to sneak upstairs past his door and into my apartment. I sped up the stairs and passed his door to the second flight of stairs. Right as I reach the top of the second flight of stairs, his door swings open with a big slam that makes me jump, and I hear him muttering and gibberishly speaking loudly while walking up the stairs. My heart is beating out of my ribcage as I am simultaneously walking and fishing my keys out of my bag. Like a classic horror movie, I kept fumbling the keys, looking for the correct one in the dark hallway as I hear him walking up the last couple of steps. I mentally told myself not to panic as I spot the correct key and slide it into the keyhole on the first go. I swing the door open and practically launch myself inside before slamming it shut behind me. I pause and hold my breath as I hear him just five feet from my door, muttering gibberish and calling me a B-word before walking back downstairs and out of the building. I watched him through a crack in my window, pacing back and forth, muttering, cursing, and at one point screaming before walking off into the night. With a little bit of relief, I head to bed hoping he doesn't come back. The next day I get a text from the landlord. He says the guy was arrested and won't be coming back. Seems he was off his meds again and attaches a link in the text. Of course, I raised an eyebrow to that comment, thinking, now you tell me? The following link showed a mugshot and a description of his nightly activity to include stealing from a turkey hill, threatening cops that he'll shoot them, punching one of them, and previous to all this, it said, earlier in the night, when he dropped his pants and rubbed himself against a window, then ran around the town square while yelling. Never did see him again, just his family coming in and moving his stuff. So, to the office meds, rude neighbor, let's not meet again. I hope this story belongs here. I currently live in an RV in my mom's driveway. My town is just larger than small, and it's relatively safe. Lots of rich people, doctors, live here, so it's kept very nice and crime is relatively low. I never expected something to happen to me, but tonight I met a man, and he was a reminder to me to always lock my door. Sometimes I forget to lock my door even while sleeping, and it's never been a big deal to me because my town is generally safe. But I'll be locking my door now. It was 2 a.m., and I took my garbage outside of the bin. When I turned around, I noticed a figure in the dark walking towards me. I started to walk quickly away, but he spoke to me. 
He was a short man, probably in his 50s or 60s. I'm a 23-year-old and female. He started talking to me about living in an RV, and I took charge of the conversation to shut it down quickly. He told me what house he lives in and his name. He was being polite but very creepy. I'm sure nearly every woman gets what I mean. That older man, kind of creepy and too polite because you're a pretty young woman. He told me I should come by his house sometime and I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. Maybe one day. Have a good night. And I walked back to my RV and locked the door. I figured he'd have left, but he didn't. I don't have a curtain on my window right now and I could hear him pacing outside my window and mumbling to himself. I was just hiding, but I wanted to lock the door by my bed. It doesn't open at all anyway, but I decided to lock it regardless. I got up and looked outside, and he was staring right at me. He was waving his hand at me to get my attention, walking right up to my window and acting so erratic. It was so different from the guy I just met. I locked my door and he watched me, and after that he left my window. I felt like he was still there. Five or so minutes pass and he's knocking at my RV door. I don't know if he tried to get in or not. It's just a flip handle, so I can't hear it or anything. I just waited there for an hour before I grabbed a knife and ran into my mom's house. I'm definitely getting a taser and a gun. I think he'd been standing across the street watching me. There's no reason for him to have just been outside my RV at 2 a.m. I think he's been watching me too. People shouldn't really know that I live in the RV. Walking down the street, that's not something I take notice of. I've only even started to pay attention to RVs and driveways since I started living in one. And still, I don't notice if people are actually living in them or not. Maybe I'm being naive, but it makes me wonder if he's been watching me, seeing that I live in the RV day after day. I don't go outside of my RV. I'm a homebody. So he'd have to been staring into my RV to really even notice someone actually living in it. This terrifies me. I was so afraid of his intentions. He makes me realize that even though I'm in a safe town, I'm still a young, pretty woman. I'm a target on men's lists. It sucks that this is our world. It sucks that there's men out there who are like this towards women. Now, this is something I really want to talk about to be sure that everyone is cautious and stays level-headed at all times. Now, for context, I live in the middle of nowhere in Canada. It was an old town that had quite a few abandoned buildings due to absence of residents. Me and my friends were tired of the lack of entertainment options for us. So what we did to explore was go to these abandoned buildings. Prior to the experience I'm about to talk about, we never had anything too crazy happen to us. Occasionally, we'd see a small bit of blood-like liquid, and we'd see a pentagram on the ground from someone who went to the house previously, but nothing too bad, until the last time I had gone exploring abandoned buildings. Now, when I was younger, I used to go to a daycare that was part mental hospital. Weird combination, I know. It closed down due to the lack of patients and a lack of children at the daycare. I decided to go back there with my friends a few years ago. For context, I was 15 when this happened. Most of my friends were the same age. When we did get there, it was rather cliche. There was fog, 
It was rather dark and there was a light drizzle of rain. We went to the main gate with the padlock shut. We decided to help each other hop over it and we made a ton of noise. We were laughing and giggling the whole time, unsuspecting of what was to come. We looked around the small play place slash park with flashlights that we had on our person. Even with our somewhat powerful flashlights, our visibility was rather limited. We decided to enter the decaying building. Glass and dirt crunched under our feet as we stepped into the daycare section of the complex. There were still old Legos, wood chips from previous furniture, old torn dolls and toys strewn about. The further we walked down the daycare section, we naturally became more and more silent until all we could hear was the crunch of the dirt under our feet. I found some crayons in a plastic container in the corner of the room. I walked over to pick them up when all of a sudden we hear a loud crash coming from behind a metal door leading to the psych ward part of the building. My friends and I all look at each other. As a whole, we were a big group of five. Most of them were very bold and cocky. We all looked at each other when my friend Brian suggested we go and look to see where the sound came from. Personally, I was not too fond of the idea, but with my group of friends, there was no way anyone was going to decline such a thing. We all stacked up the door and opened it. It was rusted to the floor, and we heaved to get it open. As we walked in, the metallic smells and must became stronger. With a hint of something else, which I couldn't put my finger on at that moment, we walked in, our flashlights pointed in every direction with Brian leading the group. The hallways were tight, and to the left and right were the occasional metal doorway, some with doors open. I felt slightly claustrophobic, and it felt a little hard to breathe. As we continued, Brian shone his flashlight into a room and recoiled. We all stopped walking as Brian slowly entered the room. What is it? I asked him. I thought I saw someone here, and it seems all fine now. To be honest, I thought he was just messing with us to increase our anxiety. But looking back, I think he was completely honest. He backed out of the room, and we continued walking deeper into the psych ward, when another friend swiftly told us to stop. We came to a halt and all listened. In the distance ahead of us, we heard the subtle pitter-patter of footsteps echo through the hallway. We all looked at each other, fear in each of our eyes. Brian continued walking towards the sounds. We considered turning back for a second without Brian, wondering if some ghost or something was in the building, but we couldn't do that to him. The closer we got, the more I felt like I was being watched. When finally we entered a room on the right, which had the smell of rotting meat. In front of us was a dead deer. Its innards were spilled all over the floor, staining the concrete. A friend of mine had a very weak stomach and vomited all over the floor. That's when we heard whispering from somewhere. Brian shone his flashlight to the corner of the room, where a man with short hair was standing with his head down. He wore a bright green t-shirt stained with what I assume was blood and torn beige pants. He did not have any socks, and his feet seemed damaged. He was twitching sporadically, and continued to mumble even after we saw him. We stared at him for a solid 30 seconds before he made his first true movement. He looked up at us with a haunting grin that sent shivers down our spine. You guys here for the feast, he said each word with varying inflection and energy. This kicked us over the edge, and we bolted out of that room all the way back down to the child daycare. 
The door was still open, and we decided to try and slam it shut, but the rust and pure weight of the door almost kept it open. It took three of us pulling with all of our strength to close it, and just before we did, I could still see the silhouette of the man watching us, his white teeth being the only other human feature I could see. As we sat behind the metal door catching our breath for a second, all looking at each other for confirmation that we all saw the same thing. After a little bit of labored breathing from each of us, we heard a light tapping on the door. That's when we decided it was time to leave. We booked it out of the vicinity, completely, and ran home. A year after we visited that spot, police went back to doing a routine search of the area and found the man. It was stated that this guy used to go to the psych ward before it closed down. He escaped the facility he was transferred to and lived off the wildlife around the complex. When the cops brought him in, he had a series of diseases and sickness from eating raw meat. His mental condition was much worse than before. There were future rumors that he did kill someone in the forest while searching for food, but nothing that has been confirmed. In the end, guys, be careful, especially in dangerous areas such as abandoned buildings. This happened probably five or six years ago. I think I was 18 at the time. For starters, I lived in a city where neighborhoods and forests kind of blend together. There are plenty of wooded areas where people go to have bonfires and parties. One night, after discovering that all of our usual spots were crowded with people, I suggested we go to a spot that I had been to a few times nearby. I had been there multiple times, but only during the day. The street where we park is maybe 200 feet from the tree line. It's your average middle-class neighborhood. Nothing crazy is really known to happen there. So we walk in, start a bonfire, and we're all having a good time. Some of us are drinking and smoking a bit, myself included. About 45 minutes pass and I'm a little intoxicated, but nothing major. And over the sound of our quiet music and my friends talking, I hear something odd. I can't make out what it is so I figure maybe I'm just hearing things. Maybe another 10 minutes go by and I hear it again. A little better this time. It still sounds relatively far away, but it sounds like Velcro tearing. I stop and just kind of sit there trying to listen, while my friends carry away, laughing and talking. They haven't seemed to notice, and that's when I heard a sound I was very familiar with. A zapping noise, like you hear from a taser. Very brief but unmistakable. My stomach drops, and I start looking around a little frantically. My girlfriend at the time was the first to notice my distress. She asks me what's wrong, and I explain and she immediately starts worrying. She gets my friends to quiet down, and we all just sit there and listen for a bit. Then we all hear it, an electric zap. Brief again, but we all know that sound. We all start panicking a bit and we quickly put out the fire while asking each other what the F that was or where exactly it was coming from. We're all too scared to walk out. It's only maybe a five minute walk to the street, but it's dark. We all muster the courage to finally walk the path out and we don't run into anyone. We finally get to the street and start walking to our cars, nervously laughing and relishing being under street lamps again. I see him first, 
He's walking towards us. Not at us, just walking in the same direction that we just came from. Slightly to the rest of us. He's holding a stick of some sort. It scared me at first, but for a brief second I calmed myself. It was a pretty safe neighborhood that I knew really well. And it was really common to see people out walking at night. But then I noticed he's looking right at us. That stare is burned into my mind. We pass each other. My friends and I are all silent as we're having this stare down with this random man. And that's when it happened. He doesn't break eye contact. Holds up the pole and smiles this creepy effing smile. His eyes are open so wide. The end of the stick lights up bright. And that same zapping sound happens again. Much louder this time. He's holding a cattle prod. We live in a city. No farmland nearby. No reason to have a cattle prod. My friends and I are silently crapping ourselves as he walks past us. Maybe 20 feet away. And goes straight into the woods without a flashlight or anything. We all got into our cars and peeled out of there. And we never went back to that spot. There's an abandoned house between my town and the town next to me on the side of the country roads that connect us. I've been to it before, and even went inside twice with my sister and my best friend. It's an old house that dates back centuries, according to the bank records that I was able to find. And you can just tell by the design. The house is two stories with a basement, has lots of furniture and objects strewn about the house, and is far from empty. You can tell that it hasn't been lived in for decades. And whoever had previously owned it, it almost seemed like they just disappeared one day, leaving everything behind. The way I was able to get in before was through the cellar door in the basement, which is broken open and propped up with some big sticks. My first visits were around two years ago, and I hadn't gone back at all in that time. Another friend has expressed interest in seeing the house when I told him about my experience. And so... Last summer, I told him that I'd take him to it. I never thought it was a dangerous trip, and told him that it's just an interesting place to explore. We parked across the street from the house, in the parking lot of one of the industrial buildings nearby. The road was a rural road, but it was far from unused, and we didn't want to be questioned by anyone. My friend, being braver than me despite my previous visits, led the way across the street into the front of the house. He asked me a couple of questions about it and what stuff I found in there. I told him that the kitchen still had expired food in it and that the upstairs had a board game set that I ended up bringing home with me. As we walked from the front of the house to the side leading to the back with the cellar, I made a note that there was a lot more brush than when I went last time. I had gone in the spring when I had gone with my sister and best friend and I never experienced the thick brush that was now carefully moving through. I made a comment to my friend that there was a lot more foliage than what I had gone before, as we both tried to figure out a path to the cellar. Eventually, we pushed through some branches and found the cellar, broken and propped open, just as I had last seen it. We talked for a second about being nervous, and I really took in the view of the cellar that led into this dark, abandoned house. I remember being really intimidated while looking at the opening, 
and I made note that some of the sticks propping open the cellar didn't look familiar to me. I didn't state it out loud, however, as I thought it was just my anxiety. My friend and I discussed who should go first, and he said since I'm the expert, I should head in first. I was hesitant, but eventually, after a good five minutes of breathing and calming myself down, I started down the few steps of the cellar. It was an awkward entrance, as half the cellar was collapsed and left little room for maneuvering. You had to duck under the part of the cellar door that was still put together, then inch your feet down the steps and finally turn your body sideways and fit through the small gap into the basement. I took a long time after ducking under the door, since my nerves came back for a second. I made it in fine, and my friend followed very quickly, which I appreciated. We both stood in the corner of the basement now, taking it in. I turned my phone's flashlight on, and he did too. There was a spider web in the path to the stairs up to the first floor. I looked around and found some sort of tool to knock the spider web down, and I took the tool and swiped it through the web. After that, I tossed the tool under the concrete floor. My friend and I talked quietly. I don't remember what about, but afterwards we fell silent for a second. Above us, I clearly heard footsteps on the boards above our heads. It almost seemed like they were heading to the stairs and led down the basement. I remember this part the best, as I looked at my friend, and he didn't seem to react to the footsteps I was hearing. I looked at him, suddenly very worried, and before I could even say anything, he said, We need to go. He turned around and practically jumped up the stairs. I remember thinking how he got out insanely fast. I could see him turn and reach his hand back to help me up. I was a bit slower, but I also quickly stepped up the stairs and he pulled me through the opening. I landed on my hands and knees after I escaped the cellar, and I immediately stood up facing the weeds. I turned around to my friend who was crouched, staring down at the cellar. I said to him that we should get out of there, and he turned away and told me to go first through the weeds. I pretty much ran through the brush, definitely getting cut up by something, but we made it through them and back in front of the house very quickly. My friend kept urging me to go in front of him, and he watched behind us, before switching to flashing his light in the windows on the first floor in front of the house. I asked him what he was doing and if he was okay. He didn't really answer me at first, so I asked him if he heard the footsteps before we bolted out of the basement. He turned to me and said that he heard them and that's why he was watching the cellar, to see if anyone was following us out. He continued, saying that after he pulled me up, he turned to guide me away before he let go of my hand, and when he turned back, he saw the bare feet of someone standing at the bottom of the cellar. Because of the cellar's dilapidated structure, he could only see their feet and a part of their legs. At that point, that's when he told me to go through the weeds first. He never saw them come up the cellar stairs or move away from them before he followed me. I didn't believe him at first, and thought he was just trying to scare me, but I could tell by the serious tone of his voice and the silent look he gave me after telling me he wasn't going to try and make me laugh or lighten the mood. I still asked if he was lying, and he aggressively said that he wasn't. He told me that I heard the footsteps already, so I knew something had to be in that house. We stood for a second, not really saying anything, before we both then agreed to go back across the street towards our cars. We stood by our cars for a while, watching the house to see if anything or anyone would come out, but nothing appeared. After talking for a bit about how crazy this was, and him reassuring me that he was telling the truth, it started to rain and we decided to call it the night. I fully believe him, and he's always stood by what he saw. 
I haven't gone back to that house since. And I like to tell myself that whoever was in that house was just a homeless person finding shelter. I still get shivers to this day, however, thinking about how close that person was to me as I scrambled up the cellar. For a bit of context, I was friends with two people, Tammy and Aaron. Well, more so friends with Aaron than Tammy, but we'll get into that. This story is primarily about Tammy. I met Aaron in my freshman year of college, and we quickly became best friends. Soon, Aaron began dating Tammy, and they were basically inseparable. As such, due to proximity, I was forced to be friends, or at least friendly, with Tammy. Whenever I'd hang out with Aaron, nine times out of ten, Tammy would be there too. Tammy and I had a few common interests. Video games, certain board and card games, etc. So I decided to give her a shot. However, I quickly found Tammy to be insufferable. She was rude, narcissistic, and had a hair-trigger temper. Everyone who I would talk to about Tammy would say the same. Despite this, I had to remain friendly with her whenever she was around. In her mind, this made us best friends, though for me it was more of an appeasement. I feel like she latched on to me because I was one of the few people who was willing to tolerate her. As you can imagine, she had very little in the way of friends. Fast forward to four years later, Tammy and Aaron are still dating and are now living together. It's a extremely toxic relationship. Tammy would scream at Aaron over small things daily making them terrified to make any mistakes in front of Tammy. Aaron felt trapped in the relationship. I was doing everything I could to convince them to leave, no matter the potential costs. Thankfully, Aaron eventually stood up for himself and ended up breaking up with Tammy last November. However, Tammy still wanted to keep her perceived friendship with me. A part of me felt bad for her. I unfortunately can be a bit of a bleeding heart, so I humored her but did my best to keep her at an arm's length. She gave me an unsolicited gift for Christmas, a deck of Magic the Gathering cards. We played that a decent amount of times together. However, I already owned this deck, but did not have the heart to tell her that. Instead, I politely thanked her and took the cards. Later, I quietly regifted the cards to my real best friend. This will be important later. Fast forward to my birthday. Tammy gave me yet another unsolicited gift. This time it was homemade weed cookies. I'm a stoner, but I have a notoriously low edible tolerance compared to my bud tolerance. As such, even low doses of edibles, 5 milligrams of THC, tend to be too intense for me, and I usually just stick to smoking bud. She claimed that the cookies were dosed at 20 milligrams THC a cookie. I was wary to eat these cookies, but decided what the hell, and ate a quarter of a cookie. That's right, a quarter. Despite that tiny amount, about 45 minutes later, I began to feel abnormally high. The room began spinning. This tends to happen for me when I smoke too much at once. I have a rug in my living room, and it has a particular zigzag pattern. It began to move beneath me in an unnerving and nauseating pattern. I've done a few mushroom trips in my day and age, and this felt very similar. However, I have never experienced anything close to this with weed. Then my heart began beating extremely fast, to the point where I genuinely felt like I was having a heart attack. No matter how many breathing exercises I did, 
I could not get it to calm down. Finally, I felt extremely nauseous, probably from seeing the room spinning, and I ran to the bathroom and stayed there for an hour in front of the toilet. I gagged and dry heaved several times, but nothing ended up coming out. Approximately four hours later, I began to feel normal again and was able to get some sleep. The next day, I felt like I had a hangover akin to taking 10 shots the previous night. I confronted her about my bad experience the previous night, and I kid you not, she simply said, Oh, oopsies. It was actually more like 80 to 90 milligrams per cookie. It took everything in my power not to slap her over that. I calmly expressed that I no longer wished to continue our sham of a friendship and promptly blocked her on all platforms. I have since not spoken to her, and it is definitely for the best. Come to find out a few days later that my best friend had casually mentioned the regifting to Tammy a few days before she made the cookies. As such, I have no definitive proof. I am inclined to think that she took this personally and made the cookies as a form of revenge against me. I'm glad that I only ate a quarter of a cookie. I'm a 29-year-old female, and I grew up in a nice suburban neighborhood. I lived in the same house my entire childhood, and only left once I moved out as an adult. I always felt safe, leaving our doors unlocked, window open, going for late-night walks as a teen. I was around 17 when I noticed strange things starting happening around my house. My house was also haunted, so weird noises and things moving on their own were not a new thing. This is probably why I and my family dismissed my experiences for so long. As a teen, I worked at a movie theater, and I did not work until the afternoon and would get off very late at night. I turned into quite the night owl, and it was normal for me to stay awake until about 3 in the morning. It started off as my dog reacting to things outside. I would peek outside my window, and I would never see anything, so I assumed my dog was just hearing noises and overreacting. Not too long after this started... I was outside and noticed there were handprints and a mark between them on my windows, as if somebody was pressing their forehead against the glass. At the time, I just dismissed it. I had plenty of friends coming in and out of my house, and they would knock on my window sometimes as they arrived. My window was by the driveway as you walked to the front door. The weird thing is that this window is very large. The window would start about three feet from the ground and went at least eight feet high and was about four feet wide. I was in a one-story house. The forehead and hand marks were at least six foot five high from the ground. I definitely did not have any friends that were that tall, and everyone in my family is less than five foot six. Soon after that, I woke up around five in the morning to my car alarm going off. Again, I did not think anything of it and dismissed the situation. This happened a few more times within the next few weeks. Always between four and five in the morning, but the last time I noticed handprints on the top of my car, as if somebody was trying to call through my open sunroof. After that, I made sure to close all the windows and lock the doors. Again, I dismissed it, thinking some hoodlums were just trying to get into unlocked open cars. Not long after the incident, things started to escalate. One morning as I was leaving to school, I found a small stepladder outside of my window, leaning against the house as if somebody was trying to look through my window. I had blinds that would move from the top to the bottom, 
I normally had the blinds closed on the bottom and left about two feet open on top to allow sunlight in, but still have privacy. When I looked at my window, I could see handprints and forehead marks were placed right above the opening of my blinds. This means they were able to use a stepladder to get a good look into my room. With the ladder against my window, I started to piece together the events over the last few months and realized that I had a peeping Tom. I brought this up to my parents, but they did not seem to worry and made no effort to do anything about it. Over the next year, I found the ladder against my window many more times. This person would use an old stepladder that we had in the side yard that was unlocked. I would continuously put the stepladder back in the side yard, but it would continue to show up next to my window on many mornings. I don't know why I did not just put the stepladder in a place that was not accessible. To be honest, I was a teen smoking a lot of weed at this time, so I feel as though I was not using very much critical thinking. I have two other sisters who lived with us, but they did not seem to notice anything weird happening. About a year after I noticed the occurrences, we found my sister's bra was out in the yard, and we did not have any explanation. This made me think that somebody may be trying to actually get in the house when we were gone, with success. I became extremely paranoid. We would often hear male voices outside our front doors, but it was common for us to hear disembodied voices due to the house haunting. My sister and I were often home alone, and when unexplained voices happened, we would just go to our room, turn on some Spongebob, and try our best to ignore it. Again, my parents were aware of all of this happening, but did not care to do anything about it. The last incident before we called the police was after a rainy night, we found bare footprints outside of my sister's window in the mud. The screen had been fiddled with as if somebody was trying to get it off the window. Once this happened, my parents started to take it more seriously. It's funny, because they did not care when incidences were happening directly to me. But the moment my sister had this experience, they decided to report it. The police could not do anything about it. They offered to send police every once in a while to fill out their paperwork in front of our house to make it seem like there was a police presence. This only happened one time and they never came back. My older sister made her boyfriend aware of the situation, so they decided to sit in the car all night and watch for the pervert to show up. Every time he would try to pull an all-nighter to watch for this person, no one would show up. Looking back now, it makes me think that someone very close to my house must be the peeping Tom, because he must have been close enough to see that we had another person watching out for us. After a few years of these experiences, my sisters and I all moved out, and we have not noticed anything weird happen since. It still bothers me knowing that this person was never caught, and that we still have no idea who it was. It makes me frustrated knowing that it could be a next-door neighbor who we thought was normal, but was actually a pervert. This all was happening around 2010 to 2013, and was before we had easy, affordable access to security cameras such as Ring and Blink. I wish we had cameras so we could know who this person was, but there is no point in dwelling over the past. All I know is that now I'm an adult. I will always have security cameras around my house, especially if I have young daughters. I have also bought my parents' home security cameras. They still live in that house. Maybe one day those cameras will catch the peeping Tom, but I don't think it will come back now that my sisters and I are all moved out.
I used to participate in a group that did activities intended towards children. We usually went to neighborhoods to make games for the kids and so on. On Halloween, we usually went to give candy to children while in costumes. That night, I was dressed up as the Joker. So I went to Rally Point and met the other guys and girls with whom we were going to give candies. We were about 30 or 40. The night went as planned. We did some games, then we handed out some candies, and then we said goodbye. Three of my best friends were there, and after the activities were over, we sat on a bench and talked about random stuff. Eventually, we got to the topic of Halloween parties and how we never went to one. We really wanted to go to a Halloween party, dance, drink, and do teenager stuff. I'm kind of an introvert, but I've always tried to live my life so when I'm old, I don't have to regret not doing stuff, and partying was one of them. So I, too, wanted to go to a Halloween party. We called our friends, but no one knew of any parties. Eventually, we got in touch with our friend Lewis, who was 18 at the time, asking him if he wanted to do something. He told us he was going to round up a few people, and then we could go out in 20 minutes. In 20 minutes, we went to a friend's house. We cleaned up, changed clothes, and then Lewis called us back. He told us to go to a park nearby to get together. We went, and we reunited with six of his friends. Four we knew, and the two others we didn't. But they were nice. Trying to think about what to do next, because his house was now unavailable. 10 o'clock at night, the reunion. We didn't know what to do, so we went to a skateboard park nearby to see one of them do some tricks with his kind of eccentric skateboard. We were all in awe, but after a few minutes we got tired. After that we went to the cemetery to tell horror stories. Disrespectful, I know, but we were teenagers doing stupid teenager stuff. After that, Lewis said, dude, want to go drink? We all said, let's drink. And we went to a convenience store to buy some alcohol. I think I have to say that in Chile, people from 16 on are expected, yet not legally allowed to drink unless they are with an adult. And we were with some people from 18 to 21 years old. Legal adult age is 18, which is also the drinking age. So we had the alcohol, but we didn't have a place to go drink. So we went to a forest that was about 15 minutes outside of town. We couldn't see anything. So we were on our phones with our flashlights on. When we got to a nice quiet spot, we lit up a fire. We made sure that there was no flammable material nearby. In front of us was an open field and behind us a wall of bushes. So as the night went on, we spent hours listening to music and drinking, telling funny stories, laughing, playing tag. It was a really good while until it wasn't the incident. 3 a.m. Before continuing, I think I have to explain what a flate is. In Chile, a flate is like a gangster. They tend to form gangs. Those who are in gangs tend to be really violent and short-tempered. They usually carry firearms or knives. This is a really vague description, as not all flates are bad people, and some are very friendly. But it serves the story, so I think is well enough. Anyways... After a while of dancing and drinking, we were all kind of wasted, except for Lewis, his girlfriend, and her sister, all OG, which decided to remain sober in case something came up. We played hide-and-seek and tag. It was really fun and a very good time. Then, while we were dancing, we heard something in the bushes. We thought it was an animal, like a rat or a bird, so we didn't think nothing of it. Then, we continued dancing around. 
I remember seeing clear as day a stone going a few centimeters away from my leg. I thought Lewis kicked it, and I told him, dude, stop kicking rocks this way. He laughed it off and thought I was drunk and joking. While I was kind of wasted, I was still in my senses. Then I saw another rock going in front of my eyes. It was like it was in slow motion. I looked up, and I saw on Lewis's face a sheer expression of horror. I got scared as well. The only thing he said to me was run. I was like, what? And he screamed at me, run, dude, someone is throwing rocks. I ran back to the town, to the houses and the lights. Behind me, people were screaming, run and hurry. I ran as fast as I could. I was kind of drunk and the terrain was really muddy. It was really dark and I couldn't see where I was going. All I knew was that I was running towards the lights. I ran until I reached the same spot where we came from already in town, then waited. I was alone and no one came. I didn't know where my friends were. After a while, a friend of mine showed up. He screamed at me, Dude, give me your jacket or something. They hit Fred on the head. When they came closer to the light, I saw him helping the other to walk. Upon seeing his face, blood was running down and dripping. I immediately gave him my jacket and called an ambulance. Then some of my other friends came one by one. They all went to Lewis's place because it was nearby. Then Lewis came. Where's my girlfriend and my sister-in-law? He said. I told him she didn't come through. We sent everyone to his house and waited for the two missing people. We were ready to go and face the people throwing rocks in case they were doing something to them. But then they appeared. His girlfriend was hysterically screaming. They hit my sister. They hit her. She's bleeding. We went to her and the whole side of her face was covered in blood. We rushed her to Lewis's house and made sure we were all there. We were, so we calmed down. When the ambulance came, the two who got hit were there. We then called the cops. After the incident, 3.30 a.m. I remember some of us being in shock. Others were angry, and others were kind of in the middle ground. Lewis was raging. These effing kids, he kept saying. We didn't know who threw the rocks. I thought we got in the terrains of someone without knowing, and the owner tried to scare us away. But my friends told me they saw a group of people hiding in the bushes. We left everything at the bonfire. The skateboard. The speaker. Some wallets. For me, I had everything safe. Lewis then told me and my friends, Dude, let's find these effers. Let me call up some guys and let's go after them. I was mad, but wanted to retrieve some of the stuff, so I told him that we would go, but if there were too many of them, then we would turn back. We called two of his friends, and in five minutes they were with us. I knew them because of some school stuff, but they were very loyal, and they both went to the gym. There were some big fellas, so I felt safe when they came. Eventually, we went out to look for the people who threw rocks. When we were about a block away from the forest, we saw them, walking with our speaker, the skateboard, and other stuff we left there. It was almost like a Mexican stand-up. We were a block away from them, and we just stared at each other. There was like 15 of them, and only 6 of us, so we didn't do anything and just turned back. As we got a good look at them, they were clearly flates. Gangsters. So they probably had guns and knives. When we came back home, we ran into the police car. There were two of them. One got out of the car. We told them we called and explained the situation very fast because we didn't want the guys to run away. However, the officer told us, 
You're telling me you were drinking, being minors, and then you got attacked? We told him yes. And then he responded with the most upsetting thing ever. So you miners were drinking, doing a bonfire at the forest in the middle of the night, and are now asking me to give you justice? Don't you kids realize how much of a hypocrite you are? I responded with, we were in supervision of three adults, and not because we were drinking, we deserve rocks being thrown at our heads, dude. He looked at me with an expression of pure hatred. I was really scared, but angry as well. He then repeated himself. We told him the guys were running away as we speak, but he just kept saying it was our fault that we were in that situation. After a few minutes, the one inside the car told the other, hey, let's find the other people and then we can question these kids. And the other got inside. We waited at the house, but they never came back. Eventually, we all went into our respective homes. Lewis told us the next day that the policeman never returned. So that's my story. It was a really scary moment, but now when I remember it, it kind of makes me smile because I have a good story to tell in moments like this. The two that got sent to the hospital had to get stitches in their heads and were hospitalized for a couple of days. After a few days, we spoke of it like it was nothing, but we were really angry at the police. If you got this far, thanks for reading. Peace and love. Alright, I spent my entire slow day at work yesterday reading through this subreddit, so now I want to share my little story. My childhood best friend, Marie, and I were around 11 or 12 years old at the time. Marie's family had their own campsite in a provincial park about two hours from our hometown and would spend the entire summer each year living in their camper out there. This particular summer, I was able to go and stay with them for a week, and we were excited to spend our time adventuring around the forest. On the last night that I was there, we decided we wanted to hurry down to the ice cream shop by the lake before it closed. It was very early evening at this point, still pretty bright out, but beginning to lose light. The path we took was down a short slope right next to the main road with maybe 10 feet of thick brush and trees in between. On the other side was the forest with more tall, thick brush. So we were walking along, not seeing a single other person on the path in front or behind us. We hear a sudden rustling and snapping of branches, similar to the sound of maybe a deer moving through the woods. I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but then the sound of running footsteps follows. Marie glances back and suddenly grabs my arm, urging me under her breath not to look back. At the same time, the running stops. I don't know why I don't ignore her and get a look myself. I guess I could sense the very real fear in her voice and chose to listen. We both start to panic, getting that feeling like when you're running up the stairs after turning the basement light off. We pick up speed as much as we can without breaking into a sprint, knowing the ice cream shop is only a minute walk away at this point. The path soon breaks and we are in the parking lot. Suddenly, Maria steers me hard to the left, heading towards the lake and the boat rental instead of continuing straight to the ice cream shop. And I go along with it silently, understanding ice cream is no longer an interest right now. Marie is clearly panicking at this point. We're both looking around, but it seems whatever scared her is nowhere in sight at this point. Marie walks up to the boat rental and gets us a kayak, and we climb in and begin to paddle out to the middle of the lake. 
As we paddle, she tells me that there was a man behind us and that the man had stopped running at us very abruptly upon making eye contact with her. He had been wearing a long black coat and the hood up despite it being the middle of July. He had a terrible smirk on his face and she swore that he stopped running. She saw him put something shiny away into his coat. He appeared to have just emerged out of the brushes after we walked past, given the sounds we heard right before he came running on the path. We reached the center of the lake and stopped paddling. I pull out my Nokia brick phone that my parents had, thank God, given me, just in case. I hand it to Marie and tell her to call her parents to come pick us up. As the phone rings, I see her look out past me to the shore and go pale, lifting a hand to point to what she's seeing. I turn, and there was the man, stalking his way around the path that circled the edge of the lake, staring out at us. We sat in the middle of the lake and watched him do two full laps, never looking away for us, before finally disappearing. It took a few tries to get a hold of her family. We were freaking out so bad the whole time, as the sun got lower and lower. We did manage to have someone come by with a truck, but by the time we reached the shore, it was pretty dark outside. I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't been able to call for a ride. Looking back, I don't know why we didn't just go into the ice cream shop and form an adult there and ask her parents to come get us then. But it worked out. We got back safe, and we thankfully never saw the man again. Thank you so much for listening to all of the stories in this video. I hope you enjoyed them. I also hope that you enjoy the extra rain at the end of this video. Good night, everybody.